On About Books, we delve into the latest news about the publishing industry with interesting insider interviews with publishing industry experts. We'll also give you updates on current nonfiction authors and books, the latest book reviews, and we'll talk about the current nonfiction books featured on C-SPAN's Book TV. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the About Books program and podcast. Well, the court case involving the merger of two large publishers, Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster, will be our primary focus in this episode. But first, here's some other publishing news. In the wake of the stabbing of author Salman Rushdie in New York earlier this month, the International Publishers Association released a statement condemning the attack. Quote, The attack on Salman Rushdie is tragic, but it will serve to redouble our commitment to fighting for the rights of authors to speak out and of publishers to disseminate their words. Without these freedoms, publishers and writers are effectively muzzled. Well, when it comes to the business of publishing, book sales have been falling this year compared to last. In July, book sales were down 6% year-to-date, according to the news site Publishing Perspectives. That comes after being down 7% year-over-year in June and down 4% in May. Well, some of the best-selling nonfiction books this year, according to the New York Times Weekly List, includes The 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones, Peter Schweitzer's Red-Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win, Former Attorney General Bill Barr's One Damn Thing After Another appeared on the New York Times bestseller list as well. And Fox News host Pete Hegseth's new book, Battle for the American Mind, It's About Education, and It Too is on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, joining us now on About Books is Halel Itali. He's with the Associated Press, and he's been covering books and publishing as a reporter for about 30 years. Mr. Itali, there's a court case going on here in Washington, D.C., involving two publishers. Can you give us the specifics? Sure. Um, this actually begins late in 2020 when Penguin Random House, which is the largest book publisher in the U.S. and, and, and most people would say in the world, um, announced it was purchasing Simon & Schuster, which is people rank around fourth uh, in the U.S. And it would form what would be by far the biggest publishing house uh, in this country and probably ever in the world. 
Um, right from the start, there were uh, expressions of concern because of the size this, this new company would be. Uh, in 2021, the uh, Justice Department announced that they were going to try to block the merger. Uh, the trial uh, began a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in, in Washington, in district court, uh, federal district court in Washington. And the thrust of the government case is this. Uh, they are looking at a very specific area in publishing. They are looking at book deals in which the author receives an advance of $250,000 or more. And what they're contending is, is that by merging these two publishers, you're going to really kind of narrow the market of bidders for books like this, which means that publishers will start paying less for books like that, which will mean fewer books and in general, fewer books being bad for the public in general. So uh, that has been the argument that's been going on now for a couple of weeks in court of what effect would this merger have uh, specifically on this market for, for, for books that cost 250000 or more? And so it seems very specific what they're looking at. You've mentioned that Penguin Random House is the largest, Simon & Schuster about the fourth largest. Who are some of the other major publishers and where do they fall on this? Well, right now in publishing, there is what we call, or it's generally called in the industry, the big five which is Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, Hachette, uh, Macmillan, um, and HarperCollins. And so what you have is those five publishers, when you get into books that are kind of the kinds of advances we're talking about, a, a pretty substantial percentage of, uh, of books of that kind are published by these five. And so what the government is saying, well, now it's going to only be four. And isn't it just inevitable when you only have four that that means that, you know, the market is going to change? It's going to short. It's there's going to be fewer bidders, inevitably uh, less money. And that means uh, harder for authors to be able to write their books. Who has been testifying at the trial? Some of the well-known authors and what's their point of view? Well, you know, uh, you, you, you had, say, Andrew Solomon, an award-winning uh, author of uh, Noonday Demon. Uh, he was one. Um, the most famous by far and the one everybody has been talking about is Stephen King. And he is an interesting case. He uh, has for a long time published with Simon & Schuster, the Simon & Schuster imprint, uh, Scribner. And but he as soon as that merger was announced, he was among those. He, he is a very active Twitter account, came out and said, boy, I don't really think I like this. You know, uh, this is going to mean the, 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 the rich get richer. It's going to be bad for smaller publishers. So he actually came to testify on, the, on behalf of the government. He did it uh, voluntarily. He made it clear when he was on the stand, they didn't have to make him come down or anything. Uh, he wanted to testify. And uh, that was by far, I would say, the one that people kind of were paying the most attention to. Um, I think the consensus is, is that um, he didn't necessarily add anything to the government case but um, he, in general, was you know, an interesting person to have there. Um, 
he uh, began publishing almost 50 years ago. And one of the things he was doing was explaining how when he started out, how how much more wide open it was. You know, the publishers, there were a lot more publishers, uh, you know, they were smaller in those days. And he has seen all of this change uh, come uh, over time, including his his original publisher, uh, his, his breakthrough book, Carrie, was published by Doubleday. Uh, a very old, venerable publisher, which has since been, was purchased by Alfred A. Knopf and now is part of Penguin Random House. So what he was basically saying is, um, I really, you know, I think it's bad when when somebody gets that big. I, I'm concerned about the smaller publishers. So um, in general, you know, it's hard to say whether or not he advanced the specific case about author salaries, uh, uh, advances, but um, you know he certainly was somebody people were paying attention to. Well, Mr. Itali, isn't it a little bit ironic that you mentioned that Scribner is part of Simon and Schuster and Doubleday is part of Penguin Random House? Now there have been some mergers in this industry. There have been a lot. Uh, one of the things that is so notice uh, notable about this case is is that there have been mergers going on for decades, all of them going through with very little trouble. Uh, It was only a decade ago that Penguin and Random House uh, merged to became Penguin Random House. At the time, the biggest merger in publishing ever and very little trouble uh, went went right through. Um, Their merger, you know, the, the, the industry has been consolidating for a long time. Uh, we're in a different situation now, if only because the Biden administration in general has made it clear that um, they want to take a close look now at antitrust, at consolidation. And so this is sort of a high profile example of that. Um, you know, this does not come in a vacuum. This comes at a time when this particular administration is saying, OK, enough of just letting all the mergers go through. We're going to take a closer look now. Now, when you look at mergers overall, this is about a $2 billion merger. This is not a huge merger by some standards, correct? No, not at all. But um, it is still, though, book publishing does hold a a special place uh, in the culture. If not measured by numbers, you just measure in general in terms of books are uh, an invaluable part of our our country, of our democracy. and one of the things the Justice Department is saying is we need, a, 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 we need it to be as open and diverse as possible. I mean, our society depends on as many different kinds of voices out there as possible. So uh, we're concerned if we see that maybe that's kind of being, you know, uh, made smaller. So, you know, the money, the, the numbers in themselves are really only not really the biggest part of this. It's more about the place in our society that book publishing has. Well, when you look at other industries, three big car companies in the U.S. left, three mobile phone companies in the U.S., but there's still a big five when it comes to publishing. Yeah, I mean, all of it's relative and all of it's what uh, has been tradition over time. Um, You know, I think at this point they have to pick and choose where they can um it it's quite possible you, yeah penguin and random uh penguin and simon and schuster just decided not to do this uh the government might be looking at mergers uh, elsewhere 
uh, it just happened to be a, by, it was such by far, you know, the biggest merger in this industry's history and coming at a moment when the government's saying, okay, enough of just letting mergers go through. Let's, let's, let's really start taking a closer look. So a lot of it, it has to do with, this, with the nature of this particular merger, proposed merger, and the time that, uh, that it was announced. Hillel Atale, the Penguin Random House lawyer, prior to the start of the trial, said this, quote, Penguin Random House's acquisition of Simon & Schuster will strengthen the already vigorous competition among publishers to find and sell the books readers most want to read. How are they backing up that argument in court? It's very interesting what you have. I guess you have this in any number of cases is you have each side looking at the industry and especially looking at this higher level of, of, of advances and each of them looking at it from their own way. The government is saying, hey, you once had five big publishers. Now you're going to have four and it is going to you know, and, and they're the ones who really dominate this particular part of the market. And isn't it inevitable it's going to shrink? Um, what the publishers are saying, or what, 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 what Penguin Random House is saying, is saying, hey, stop saying the big five. There are other publishers out there. There's Scholastic, uh, which publishes, you know, Harry Potter books. There's W.W. W. Norton. There's Chronicle Books. There's a new publishing house called Astra House. You know, they're, they're saying, hey, look, you're, you're ignoring all of these other voices in there. So sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, how you're looking at the given market. So what they're saying is, look, we're, we're, we're not the only ones there. We're, Big Five is not the whole picture. There are a lot of others. They will also say, like, look, we will just be a better company. We're, we're, we're just, they talk in terms of being able to streamline various, you know, whether it's you know, distribution and warehousing, becoming more efficient, and that we will be a better company and thus better able to put books out, put good books out, and that's good for everybody. What's Simon & Schuster's attitude and what have they said about this merger? Well, I mean, they've come out and, and, and supported it. I mean, um, now Simon & Schuster, it's a complicated situation. Um, Simon & Schuster, at the time the sale went through, they were owned by uh, Viacom. Uh, I believe it's CBS Viacom. It, it's now uh, uh, Paramount Global. Simon & Schuster, the rumors of Simon & Schuster being put up for sale is a stretch back for, for a few years now. Uh, Viacom had kind of come out and said, we just don't see Simon & Schuster book publishing as part of our long-term strategy. So I think at Simon & Schuster, there's long been the understanding, okay, someone's going to buy us. And I think at least what they're sort of saying is like, look, if someone's going to buy us, why not Penguin Random House? At least it's another book publisher. They understand what we do. You know, they'll, they will respect our culture. One of the things that Penguin, Random House, Simon & Schuster all have in common, I mean, these, these have all been around for a long time. I and mean, these have long been kind of the cores of the publishing industry. So they're kind of saying, hey, we, you know, we all respect that. We've published all of these great writers. We're going to continue that tradition. One of the things that is put out as a concern is suppose this merger is blocked. There's still a general consensus that Paramount is still going to want to sell Simon & Schuster. 
And so some kind of raise the concern, well, what if they are bought out by just some, you know, venture capitalist who really doesn't care about books, you know, that all the venture capitalist wants to do is, you know, beef up the stock price, make a bunch of cuts, you know, and then sell it off again and make a nice profit and, and, but really decimate the the publisher, Simon & Schuster in the meantime. So I think there's a general understanding one way or another, Simon & Schuster is expected to be sold and, why not Penguin Random House again? Why not another publisher and a publisher who sort of appreciates uh, the legacy Simon & Schuster has? Where is the case being heard and who's hearing it? Well, it is in Washington, uh, Federal District Court. Uh, the judge is Florence Y. Pan, who has been, uh, I believe, uh, not, uh, is uh, nominated uh, for the appeals uh, court. Uh, a very highly regarded judge. Um, she has been very active uh, in the case. She she does not hesitate to ask questions. Um, I think there's a general feeling that her questions have been a little tougher on Penguin Random House. Um, she has certainly looked very closely and, and has appeared to be somewhat skeptical of the idea that doing this merger uh, is not going to uh, change uh, the market. Um, however, as I'm sure you know, we, you can never make any conclusions. It's been known that a judge can appear to be taking one side during a you know, during the hearing and then rule another way. But at least, as as you know, everyone who has been following this uh, has been noting, she certainly seems to be taking a tougher line of questioning on Penguin Random House. Hillel Atali have Hachette or Harper Collins weighed in with an opinion on this merger? Now, they have both. It's an interesting case. Um, Hachette and HarperCollins uh, have both opposed it. Um, and yet you have a bit of an irony here because uh, HarperCollins was one of the uh, bidders for it. They've made it clear they would have liked to have bought Simon & Schuster. Hachette did not make a uh, an actual bid, but uh, their CEO actually said on the stand, boy, I, I kind of wish they did. And yeah, I'd really, you know, we'd also, we'd like to have Simon & Schuster. So it's an interesting situation. What they're saying is they're not necessarily against the uh, shrinking big five to big four. They're saying, but look, come on, Penguin Random House was already number one. That's a special case. We're not quite that big, so, you know, in our case, it's a little bit different. And just to review before we close down our conversation on this, this merger is specifically being challenged by advances, big advances to big-name authors, correct? Right. This is the perspective they're taking. Uh, My understanding is it's something like, like almost like a labor kind of issue, you know, how you're being compensated for your work. They are focusing on this particular part of the market. In fact, one of the defenses Penguin Random House is saying is like, look, you're just looking at a small number of books here. You know, uh, you're not considering the vast number of books that don't fall into this category. And the response from the government is saying, yeah, but, you know, this is really where a lot of the attention goes to. It's such an important part of the market and it's going to clearly change that. And so that's why you know, we really feel we have to step in here. Hillel Atali, you've been covering the publishing world and book publishers for nearly 30 years. What's the state of the industry today? 
Well, one of the things that's happened in the past couple of years is when when the pandemic began, there was initial feeling of, oh, God, we're really in trouble. You know, all the bookstores had to close down. And there was a feeling like, okay, we're, we're, we're in for it here. And then they were anticipating layoffs and such. And then the opposite happened. Uh, more people started buying books. You know, maybe they just didn't, more people at home, people not going, say, to the movies or to concerts. So there was, suddenly there was more time to read. Uh, 2021 was one of the best years ever in book publishing. And it was just a tremendous year. Uh, 2022, not quite as strong as 2021, but still, relatively speaking, a strong year. Um, one thing is, I mean, this comes at a this does not come at a time when you know uh, book publishers are sort of desperate to save themselves or anything like that. This comes at a, at a, at a good time for the publishing industry, sales wise. How shocking to you was the stabbing of Salman Rushdie? You know, um, it's something that was always on, I'm sure, somewhere in the back of his mind, always on the back of any number of people's minds. I've been to a lot of events where he has read or I've been just been to events where he's just attended and I've just chatted with him. Um, in the back of my mind, I've always, in those events, have wondered, oh, God, what if something happens? So... I don't know how to measure it in terms of shocking or, or it's just it had been so long since he had really been in the news. And, and maybe there was this feeling like, OK, you know, the, the point of true danger is not there anymore. And so maybe in that sense, it's it, it's shocking in that maybe there was this feeling, which I guess turned out to be an illusion that, OK, everyone is just sort of moved on from that. Um, I thought one of the notable things is the alleged assailant. Obviously, we, you know, we can't, we just have to say alleged to this point. There's no formal you know, trial or anything yet. Um, it, he was young. He was 24. Uh, he wasn't born when this book was, was published or when all of the attention was given to it. So one of the things it said, I felt was, boy, this, the idea of this book has lingered you know, long after anybody really had been talking about it a lot, it, it, you know, I don't think it's a book necessarily that had sold a lot of copies in recent years, yet it's still, in, obviously among certain people, it's still there as some kind of, of you know, of, of, of symbol, something that, that, that hangs on. So that's something that was striking to, to me, that you didn't even have to be born when that book came out to to clearly feel like okay, I'm you know, uh, I I really have an issue here with this author. And at this point in mid-August, when we're taping this, it looks like he will survive, albeit injured badly. Yes, I mean you know we all cross our fingers uh, about this. I mean he certainly has sustained uh, serious injuries. Uh, you know he was stabbed in the stomach. Uh, his, uh, one of his eyes appears to have been badly damaged, but you know indications as he's no longer what we would say in critical condition. He had been on a ventilator, was taken off of it, and so at this point, I think it's. You know, we just wait and hope that we hear from him at some point. He gives out some kind of statement. I mean, one of the things that's notable about him is, you know, he has been very unafraid to speak out 
um, over the years. He is not a reclusive author, a very public author. Uh, someone he, he, you know, he was forced into hiding initially, and that's really not him. He's not one of those writers who just wants to be left alone. I mean, he likes to be out there. He likes to 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 engage with people, and so I think you know the hope is that uh, that's something he'll still do. But you know, we still we just have to see. It's only it's really only barely been a week um, as of as of we're taping right now. Well, Hillel Atali, let's close back on the trial. What is expected in the next couple of weeks? How long do you expect the Penguin Random House Simon and Schuster merger trial to last? It's not supposed to last much longer. Uh, perhaps end this week or go into next week, but not much longer. And then later this fall, uh, Judge Pan is is expected to rule on it. And from there, we'll see. Uh, Penguin Random House, if it goes against them, Penguin Random House could appeal it. And then, again, that's uh, there's no way of knowing what would happen if they did that, you know, what the process would be from, from there. So uh, not much longer of a trial is expected. And, and again, some point this fall, uh, we'll get a decision on it. Hillel Atali covers books and publishing for the Associated Press We really appreciate your time on About Books. Thank you. Well, each Tuesday, dozens of books are published and released. Here are some recent ones. Senator Tim Scott's new memoir is entitled America, A Redemption Story. It's about the South Carolina Republican's upbringing and political career and his core messages about what the U.S. means to him. He is one of only 11 African Americans to have ever served in the U.S. Senate. Former Donald Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, who was pardoned by the former president in 2020, is out with his new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. The Guardian's Lloyd Green called Mr. Manafort's book, quote, primarily an exercise in score settling, pointing an accusatory finger at federal prosecutors and lashing out at enemies. Another new book. In Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis, author Beth Macy follows her award-winning book, Dope Sick, with another account of America's opioid crisis. A Kirkus Review dubbed her newest work, quote, a profoundly disconcerting book that, with luck, will inspire reform to aid the dope sick and punish their suppliers. A.J. Rice is the author of The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. Jennifer Harper in the Washington Times describes it as, quote, a rollicking read targeting left-leaning influence in America. And the New Yorker recently reviewed Sarah Stadola's new book, The Last Resort, which looks at beachside development. They say it is a chronicle of corrosive tourism, which points out the ecological dangers due to the popularity of development on the beach. And the National Review looked at the state of black America. It's edited by W.B. Allen, who is CEO of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. The conservative magazine describes the essays in the state of black America as offering a, quote, empowering message of individual responsibility inspired by black men and women of astounding ability. 
And finally, when it comes to new books, the Wall Street Journal recently reviewed Lev Manan's study of the Federal Reserve. The Fed Unbound is described by the paper as a short, crisp, nuanced volume that will help you understand what the Fed is up to. Well, each month, Book TV has a program called In-Depth. We bring on one author for a deep dive into his or her body of work. Recently, talk show host, author, and gubernatorial candidate Larry Elder was our guest. Here's how he responded to one caller. On homeless, uh, you're quite right. This is the wealthiest country in, in the world, and there's no reason why we should have this kind of problem. But most of the people who are homeless have uh, mental problems, are alcoholics, or they are addicted to drugs. Um, and that's a spiritual problem. Uh, I talked to Dr. Ben Carson when I was, in, uh, when I was running from, for governor, and he talked about a plan that he had, and had the Trump administration had a second term, they already had this ready to go. It was on federal land, so it didn't have the same regulations and rules that you have uh, on other lands, and they were able to uh, build a lot of uh, low-cost, small housing. And he told me that the mayor was on board of L.A., even Governor Gavin Newsom was on board, uh, and there was plenty of money to treat people, and they would treat people first, uh, and then they would be offered opportunities to live on federal property uh, in these houses that, were, that would be built. And, he, and Ben Carson believes that most of the homeless people would, would, be, would take up people on their offer and would then be, be willingly re- relocated to these areas uh, where federal property is. Uh, we have to do something, though. Uh, it's gotten worse and worse. When Gavin Newsom was mayor of San Francisco, he a two-term mayor, he promised to end the homeless problem in San Francisco before the end of his term. Well, it's worse than ever. And when he was governor, lieutenant governor for eight years, he pounded the desk and complained that he had nothing to do. And I suggested that maybe, just maybe, he might want to, might want to fulfill his campaign promise to solve the homeless problem in San Francisco. Uh, it's only gotten worse. Uh, it's not a housing-first problem. Uh, it's a spiritual problem. Uh, and there's a direct relationship between the fa- breakdown of the family and the large number of people who are homeless. Uh, but we can address this by dealing with their mental illness and dealing with their alcohol- all- alcoholism and then building low-cost housing so that they would have somewhere to go. And a reminder that the Larry Elder In-Depth program and all other In-Depth programs are available to watch in their entirety online on our website, booktv.org. Now, before we close, we want to let you know that Book TV will be live at the National Book Festival on Saturday, September 3rd. It's held here in Washington, D.C. at the Convention Center. This is the 22nd year of the festival. Book TV has been live every year, and this is the first year since the pandemic that it's back in person. You'll hear from authors talking about such topics as race, Jim Thorpe, political conspiracy, the bald eagle, all day long coverage. You can find the schedule on our website, booktv.org. And if you happen to be in town, come on down and say hi. And thanks for joining us on About Books, a program and podcast produced by C-SPAN's Book TV. Now, Book TV will continue to bring you publishing news and author programs, which you can always watch online at booktv.org. And if you want to download this podcast, you can do so at C-SPAN Now or wherever you get your podcasts.